Hi, and welcome back to AlderPod, the Alders Gate Cycle podcast. Today's episode is number 30, chapter 27 of the Alders Gate, Precipice. Then was glad Libby had the strength to carry the princess so delicately, in spite of the tremendous difficulty they faced going down so many stairs and navigating the lesser-known passageways to the morgue. It had been years since Hea had been down this way, having snuck through once to deliver something to the mortician when no one else was available. And even if Hea did know Hea's way around, Hea most certainly wouldn't have managed to carry Ellen more than about eight strides. "'I think it's this way,' Ben said." "'indicating the leftmost cavern with a Hea's lantern. "'It was hard to think with all the worry skittering around Hea's brain, "'and Hea couldn't help but continue to think about Sylvan "'and the thousands of other knights that were busy elsewhere in the realm. "'Had the queen really been so blind to the threat that she deployed so many? "'You need to move faster, Ben,' Libby said through gritted teeth. "'Ben had wrapped Ellen's neck to the best of Hea's abilities,' They had descended so far, and the walls were so moldy and mildewed, part of the oldest portion of the castle itself, dating back far before the collision, that it was getting progressively more difficult to differentiate between the tunnels. Hea thought they were heading west, and west meant... There! Up ahead! You can see the light! Ben pointed ahead to the rise in the passage. It turned up and to the left. They moved quietly, but as swift as their feet could go without endangering Ellen. Hopefully there would be a better mode of transportation in the morgue, and likely even something to use to stitch her up. Hea was concerned about the shrapnel in her neck, especially with all the jostling. Ben, shite, Ben, she's bleeding again. Libby, she was afraid. Gods, if Labella Fenley was afraid, just get her to the morgue. Ben couldn't look back. Hea was a physic, but always from a distance. Certainly... Hey, I had the learning, years of it thanks to Malus and her books. But the practice of it was so different. Hey, I wasn't sure that Hea would kill her in the process of treatment. This far down it was impossible to tell if bombs were still dropping. Ben turned the corner into the white-tiled morgue and came face to face with the mortician. Haversham was wearing his black apron, and his face was sweaty enough to be mistaken for having been half-drowned in a bucket. Ben froze. Hea hadn't anticipated running into the mortician. Everyone had been ordered to evacuate. The princess? What What are you doing? Official business, growled Libby, as she shouldered past Ben and put Ellen down on a stretcher. She could have picked a cleaner one, but it was the closest. Ben winced, having no desire whatsoever to know who had been there before. Is she... Haversham's eyes were wide and he was trembling. He had the look of a man who had been caught doing something quite deviant. "'She's right as rain,' said Libby, moving aside her duster. Her guns were there, a clear threat. Ben swallowed. Hea hadn't even thought about artillery, and yet here she was, armed to the teeth. Not that she needed weapons to do the killing. Haversham's eyes went to the table behind him, covered with implements for autopsies. They had been cleaned and sharpened, and were waiting to dry. "'part of the man's routine every night. "'You should get going,' Libby said, evenly, "'like a farmhand lulling cattle. "'You don't need to worry about any of this.' 
but he was panicking. The castle was under siege, and if you've killed the princess... She's not dead, you fecking idiot, said Libby. She was losing her patience, and Ben was beginning to worry that they were walking into a much more significant disaster than Haya had thought. Haversham squinted to where Ellen was, and Ben cringed. He wouldn't be able to tell if she was breathing, not from that distance, not with the doses she's been given. Ben tried to move forward, but the mortician blocked Hayon. What are you doing here, Ben? You're not supposed to be here. Ben looked desperately at Libby. Haya was starting to feel as if everything were moving out of sync, as if Haya had had a dose of something herself. What did she expect Hayon to do anyway? Haya wasn't carrying a weapon, and if Haversham wanted to, he could get on the horn and report both of them within seconds. Surely someone would hear, and they'd be completely put out. I'm going to the Queen with this. You dolt. The castle's under siege. Libby's fingers played over the grips of her guns, delicately, almost erotically. I know where the Queen is, and where the Princess is supposed to be, and... He hit the floor before Ben even had time to startle from the gunshot. The back of his head was a pulpy red mess, and his eyes still stared ahead as his body twitched its last. Libby! Ben said her name, but there was no strength in it. Fecker had it coming. You didn't need to kill him! Ben finally shouted, and it felt good. His throat hadn't had any reason to speak louder than a vague whisper in years. How are we going to explain that? We're not. You're going to fix her neck, and we're getting out of here. It wasn't the first time that Ben regretted being part of the Seventh Clan, but what was Haya supposed to do? He'd promised Ellen never to leave, and if she forgot that Haya existed, even if she never came to visit, what could Haya do? When Haya had made Haya's oath to the Seventh Clan, it was only at the age of sixteen. Since then, Haya had only seen the interior of a closet-sized room, only taken herb deliveries, only passed parcels to servants who pretended not to know what Haya was. To Ben's knowledge, Haya was the only sib in the entire palace. Perhaps the Nithings would have been a good option. Ben went to Ellen, trying to block out the horror that was the body of Haversham, and Haya unwrapped the bloodied bandage. Gods, but Ben had no way of knowing if the splinter of wood had gone into her vertebrae, or severed a nerve, or cut through a more important artery. It cut a cleft midway between her shoulder and her ear, and even with gentle prodding, more blood oozed. She's going to die, Haya whispered, almost hoarse. If she's still bleeding out with the dose I gave her, there's nothing else I can do, Libby. Then at least take it out, she said, hefting the body of Haversham up under the arms and rolling him over, placing a white sheet on top. There were no other bodies in the morgue today. I... I don't. You can't just do what you did to her before, snapped Libby. Why the feck can't it work that way? Ellen had fallen off her horse when she'd been riding, years ago, when they had all been young. Sylvan was the first to reach her, but by the time Ben arrived, she was pale as a sheet and not breathing. Terrified, Sylvan had run off, but Ben had stayed with her, laying Hayes' hands on her chest, pressing gently. Something had happened that day. Something remarkable. By all accounts, the princess's neck should have been broken, but when Ben stood up, she stood up with Hayon. Libby had seen it all. She was breathing heavily as she stood before Ben. Sylvan told me he'd gotten a letter from a crazy old woman purporting that the altar's gate had fallen, she said. 
The name garnered Ben's attention, and Hale looked over Hale's shoulder at her. The what? The Alder's Gate. And I've heard from around the castle. The folks that adhere to that sort of thing seem to think that... Well, they've heard rumors from outlying towns. No one knows how Sylvan killed Malvin, but he did. I know he did. And he seemed to do it with touch, she said, kneeling down next to Hayon. You don't suppose his twin can do the very opposite? Ben nodded, feeling Haya's stomach swim. Haya had thought she was going to die then, convinced of it. But now, now Haya was grown. But the fear was worse. It was like a great wall in Haya's mind, preventing the flow of, was it magic? From moving properly. Haya's bones hurt. Gently, with even pressure, Haya pulled the shrapnel out of Ellen's neck, careful to take it in one piece if possible. There were a thousand other things that could go wrong with such a bad operation. On the medication she wouldn't wake, but if Haya could manage to help her now... Haya threw the ragged shard of wood back on the ground and placed both hands on Ellen's neck and prayed. To what? Haya didn't know. Had Ben been a proper sib, he'd have known the right deities, known the right prayers. But as it was, Haya knew nothing. And so, to a vagueness Haya thought of as a great, powerful light, Ben concentrated. Haya felt blood welling under Haya's hand, and despair rose up in Hayon, knowing that Haya would fail. It was Libby's voice that snapped Ben out of the trance. Ben, look, your fingers. Haya looked down. The blood had dried on Haya's hands, and Haya felt nothing moving beneath. Slowly, ever slowly, Ben removed Hea's hands, and beneath Hea's fingers was a scaly webbed scab of blood, hard and sure. Gods, Hea said. Wrap it up. We're moving. Libby, apparently, was used to miracles. They called it the Way of the Dead because it was the tunnel all the bodies from the castle took to their final resting place. From the most humble servant to the grandest queen, it was an unbroken tradition, reaching far before the Great Collision. It was rumored to have been started during a plague where the amount of bodies was too much for the main structure to accommodate. Now the passage was black as night, and Ben struggled to keep upright in the low-hanging tunnel. Unlike Hea's brother Sylvan, Ben was quite tall, and Libby's irritated sighs echoed every time Hea slipped slightly. Hea carried one end of the stretcher, upon which Ellen lay, and it would be a while yet before they found rest. Where did Libby think they were going? Certainly she must have a plan, but she did not share it with Ben, and Hea wondered if she planned to. The agreement was that Ben would do all in Hea's power to get Ellen to safety, but beyond that, the details were vague. As far as Hea was concerned... Hea had done Hea's duty. "'We're going to have to jog,' said Libby. As they descended, the sounds of war intensified. It no longer sounded like bombs were detonating, but the whir and hiss of avians and their percussive guns echoed down the length of the way. At the end of the vibration was a strange, high-pitched note that almost sounded like wailing. 
When they reached outside, it was dark, but the air was fresher, a welcome change from the musty way of the dead. Two paths led from the way, one toward the cemetery, and the other up and to the cliffside. Libby paused to consider a moment before moving toward the cemetery, the mounds visible from where they stood like the backs of immense cattle. When they reached the cemetery, they put Ellen down softly, and Ben went to her immediately to see to her state. She appeared stable, and Hea readjusted the blanket atop her while the skies lit with flame. Libby was watching the attack unfold, her face tilted up to the sky. Ben remembered the way she looked when she was younger, so plump and freckled, always giving that dimpled smile. She had arrived to court when she was seven, and spoke constantly of her elder brother Gowan and all that he had accomplished at the tender age of fifteen. Then it had been significantly less impressive than his later feats, but to hear her speak of it then, one never would have guessed. And she had always been in love with Sylvan, just as Sylvan had always been in love with Ellen. And Ben? This is where I leave you, Libby said, abruptly as a thunderclap. What? Ben nearly shouted again and almost tripped over a dip in the path that wound its way through the cemetery. What do you mean? You... I'm a knight, Ben, said Libby, and we're at war. I can't stand back and watch the world crumble. But your duty is to Ellen, cried Ben. Hey, I couldn't believe this new turn. Had Libby lost her mind entirely? Listen, Ben. Ellen doesn't want any more of this. She wants her own life, and I can't give that to her. She was checking her guns, one at a time, and then took a third, a very small model, out of her boot pocket and gave it to Ben. You take this and go down. Libby, I can't do that. I'm in the seventh clan. Don't you remember? They'll kill me, said Ben, who until this moment had little to fear of death. But the Sibs would not be kind. Uh, and what about Tessa? She won't know where I've gone. She'll raise alarm. I'll send word to her if I can. It's better if no one knows the truth of it, she said, with a hint of something that might have been tenderness in her voice. It'll keep Ellen safe. And that's all that matters right now. But you don't understand. I can't go to the Nithings. Libby looked frustrated, her eyes flashing in the fire of the assault. You'll be protected because you're with her. You know they won't turn you away. They can't. Ben wished Hea had the gall to speak back to Libby, to challenge her. But Hea had always been the weakest of the four, weaker even than Ellen, who, if pressed, always spoke her peace. I don't know if I can carry her, Ben said instead. It was chilly, in spite of the season, and the air was thickening with smoke. Libby approached, and Ben backed up, but not so far that Ellen would be out of view. A loud crack, followed by the sound of crumbling rock, reverberated from behind them up above. Some shards of stone rained down with a dazzle of mica-laden dust— "'sparkling in the moon and starlight. "'You told her that you loved her once,' Libby said, "'pressing closer again. "'Her hands were flicking over the grips of her guns, "'just like they had been before she killed Haversham. "'You told her you loved her so much "'that you'd vanish from her sight "'and only return to her in the gravest of hours. "'In her own words, she asked you to leave her, "'save if there was a situation. "'Tears, damn them. "'Ben choked.' Hea's throat closing with emotion. That had been so many years ago, far before the princess had been married and Libby and Sylvan had entered the Rose. Why would she hold Hea to it now? Why bring up the pain of the past so selfishly? Did you mean what you said? Libby pressed. 
Yes. No hesitation. Chaos still meant it. More chaos opposed than ever. Then don't wait up for me, said Libby. I won't be easy to find. Wait, what? Aren't you going? Ben pointed up into the left, indicated where the explosions were coming from. Libby smiled. There's other business that I need to attend to. More important than her. The knight licked her lips. You have family. You understand. When Libby left, Ben sat with Ellen in the dark, by her side, draping one hand over her shoulders, considering. They sat in the shadow of one of the mounds. Hale listened as the assault lessened, as the attack from the sea slackened. Night drew deeper, but there was too much smoke in the sky to see much of the stars. Every now and again, Ben leaned down and examined the scab at Ellen's neck, and every time it was still intact. How strange it was, thought the Sib, that Sylvan was so renowned for his acts of war and death, while Hea was able to perform near miracles of life. Ellen breathed, shallowly, but did not wake. Hea prayed Libby was right, that Ellen had chosen this way. Somehow Ben found it difficult to think otherwise. Of course, Hea had only seen the difficulties of her marriage from a distance, knowing she was in pain because of the Vialk bottles Hea filled for her, even when she did not ask for it. Through the network of physics, Hea learned all that ailed her, and in a way, that brought Han closer to her than most. But still, Ben fretted that upon waking she would be upset, just as she had been when she had made Han take the oath for her. The mounds and markers in the cemetery stood black and impenetrable against the smoky sky, and Ben stared at them, thinking. These were his ancestors, too, having been the product of the same affair that had produced Sylvan de Loire. Had Ben been born anything but a sib, Hea would have had the freedom of Hea's brother. But as it was, Ben was only allowed a taste, a glimpse. It was not the first time that the Sib wondered how Hea had managed it. Had his mother awoken from her draft-induced sleep after childbirth? Had the queen intervened? From the youngest ages, Hea was made to dress as a girl, and often played with Eleonora and Libby, the three frilled and flowered as perfect and beautiful as could be. They had once called Hayan Benet. Then, in their awkward teenage years, after the writing incident, when the rest were falling in love and composing romantic poems, Ben had never felt right, never felt a part of anything. Hea became depressed, and Lord Lucas himself had to come to Ben and explain what Hea was, and that Hea must join the rest of the Sibs and the Nithings. Ben had been devastated, and professed that Hea was in love with Eleonora, that Hea always would be. Lord Lucas indicated that, should she return Hea's love, then Ben could remain above. But of course, she did not. Ellen wept and made Ben promise to stay away, that if Hea truly loved her, Hea would remain unseen and come to her only in a time of greatest need. Sylvan had explained it all had to do with what men and women did between the sheets, and that Ben could not participate in such things, could not make other children. Embarrassed and confused, Ben was sent to the Nithings, thrust underground, away from the light, and there saw and learned what Hea was. 
In some ways, it was a relief to see so many like Haon, but yet it was a horror to never know the delights of the world above again, to never see the stars, the sun. No, it was not worth it. Hea could not do it. So a deal was made, and when Ben was brought before Nesme, Hea claimed the seventh clan. Hea was brought back up and apprenticed as an apothecary, shut up in a small room, and left to do Hea's work. Not unheard of, but unusual. Still, as Sylvan had said, being a bastard had its advantages, even if one was a sib. Ben had expected somehow that Hea's sacrifice would go recognized, but Sylvan and Ellen, even Libby and the others, grew up so quickly and were absorbed in their grown-up lives that Ben was forgotten. But now, all that changed. Ben was no longer shoved to the side. Suddenly, Hea was the one to save Ellen, at least to some extent, and all for a vow of love made twenty years ago. Had Ellen ever wondered how easily her drugs came to her? Doubtful. She was busy. But perhaps when she woke, she would be thankful. Then suddenly the avians took to the sky, the queen's fleet. Ben snapped out of thought. Against the night sky it was impossible to tell one from the other, but their engines hissed and orange bursts from gunfire lit up their wings. One of them would be Quintessa Jonas, and she would be landing soon, faking a fall. No, Libby was right. The less anyone knew, the safer Ellen would be. Ben leaned down to touch Ellen's face. She was terribly cold. It was a stray peppering of gunfire that decided it for Ben, who couldn't risk Ellen to such danger. If Hea's hunch was right, then the mounds led down to one of the Sib's rail stations. Hea had once seen a midwife standing with an empty basket in the middle of the cemetery and had wondered what it was all about. When Hea explored later, there had been no indication of a recent burial in the children's quarter of the cemetery. It had to have been a baby Sib. Might as well start at the top said Ben, blowing the lantern and lashing it to Hea's apothecary bag. With a look at the stars, parting through the clouds, hoping it was not the last time Hea would see the view, Hea made Hea's way into the mound of Corrine the First, prying open the door and poking Hea's head inside the cool, narrow passageway. It would be a long walk. And a few post-podcast notes here this evening. Um, as some of you may know, if you follow my Twitter feed at all, I have been experimenting with some new recording uh, hardware. <laughs> um, I came into uh, ownership or at least borrowship of a condenser microphone and uh, an actual phantom power supply sl uh, slash preamp. So I think the vocal quality here is considerably better. I'm quite happy with it myself. I think it's a lot clearer and I think a little truer to my voice. The cruddy USB microphone I was using before kind of stunk. Anyway, this actually concludes the story from the Ellen Sylvan Ben side of the Elder's Gate, which will be picked up in another book. But for now, we should be at least somewhat happy to know that Ellen is being taken to the knittings, Ben escaping, and Libby going elsewhere as usual, with a little bit of a hint, especially if you listen to the music. Um, 
I really enjoy the character of Ben, although it's quite a challenge to speak the gender neutral or genderless pronouns, um, even more so than writing it. Definitely had to do this one quite a few times, and as usual, there's a couple of flubs here and there, but I am not making this perfect, so only so much time in the day. I do appreciate you all listening. Um, this story is near and dear to me, and um, the characters sort of, I don't know, they get they get more uh, <laughs> more precious to me in some ways, I think, as I continue to do the podcast and share the stories with other people. So thanks so much again for tuning in, and uh, two more chapters to go in the very, very end. Alderpod is written, produced, and performed by Natanya Barron under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, 3.0 United States license. Visit me online at aldersgatecycle.com, nataniabarron.wordpress.com, and at Natanya Barron on Twitter. Thanks again so much for listening.